0: Uh, This morning in our adult education, uh, Brother Derek was talking about our culture and society and uh, technology and how it can be such a good thing. And so I was reading this uh, and singing this line about how shall the young direct their way, uh, what light shall be their perfect guide. And I'm sure if you're like me, you've seen so many in our culture today uh, walking around with a light, guiding them, but it's the light coming from their phone. And uh, with whatever's on there, right, it's always in their hand, leading them, guiding them, and the Bible says, uh, the path our children need is not a phone in their hand, uh, but the word of God to direct them in their way. May we uh, remember that from the song, that is the way of blessing. Uh, now, if you're reading your Bible on the phone, well, I guess that's another thing, but um, But it's encouragement from the Lord. Uh, We're going to uh, read together from 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, speaking of the light uh, of his word. 1 Peter chapter 2, if you turn with me uh, there, we're going to read verses 18 through uh, 25. We uh, partially looked at this uh, passage uh, last uh, week, but um, uh, but we did not uh, uh, cover this passage by any means, and so we need to go back. Uh, today. And so 1 Peter 2, remember we're thinking about the Christian uh, in today's world, uh, living in a uh, what can be a hostile environment, um, and uh, to those who truly believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so we've been thinking together about our attitude to the government. What does it make a difference if you're a Christian, how you think about Uh, human institutions and governing authorities, and we saw something about that. We talked about freedom, you know, how does a Christian understand freedom? Well, not the way our culture understands freedom. We believe freedom is, we're free, finally, we're no longer bound to Satan and sin. We're finally free to serve God uh, the way that we were created to, And, and if you're in a servant, if you're in the first century culture, if you're in the home, what do you do with people who treat you unjustly and you suffer for being a Christian, and, and certainly first century Rome, and the household of Rome, and your servant in Rome, and uh, all sorts of suffering simply for wanting to follow Christ, even as we would face today. And so those are the things we've been looking at together. But uh, today we want to focus especially on verse 24 of 1 Peter 2, but I'll begin reading at verse 18. Again, this is the Word of God. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect die to sin, and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of God. Let's pray for help to understand it today. Lord, we thank you uh, for your blessings to us, all the means of grace that uh, we were thinking about together as Aaron and Melanie took those vows of doing all that they can to bring up their children, expose them to these means of grace that they might know you better. We know, Lord, that the preaching and reading of your word is is one of those great means that you convey to us the grace and mercy that comes to us through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit today, you would, in fact, use those means in in our life today, whoever we are, whatever reason we've come uh, to this place this morning, pray that you would work uh, in our hearts. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, uh, many of you know the uh, series by C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia, and uh, In the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you may remember that C.S. Lewis attempts in that, uh, in that children's book to try to get at something of the essence of the cross of Jesus, and what the, the death of Jesus is all about, and of course, there's, um, uh, C.S. Lewis is not the Bible, and uh, we have to read anything with... With discernment, but he does, he does, he tries to get at uh, the uh, significance of uh, the cross of Jesus in describing what happens to uh, the Christ figure in those stories, Aslan the Lion. And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan the Lion ends up dying uh, in the place of Edmund Pavency, who has betrayed his brothers, or his brother and sisters, and betrayed all of Narnia by. by speaking to the white witch, going over to the evil one. And, uh, and this is what C.S. Lewis wrote. When a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, or in a traitor's place, the table, that's the stone table upon which Aslan was killed, would crack, and death itself, said Lewis, would start working backwards. When a willing victim dies in the stead of a traitor, death itself starts working backward. In that book, Aslan dies in the place of Edmund, but the thing is, uh, it's no victory for evil. Death itself is actually being destroyed. The witch is defeated. Evil is turned back. Aslan, of course, will rise again, and death itself has been defeated. Now, we needed more time uh, on this passage of Scripture because in this passage of 1 Peter 2 that we read together uh, this morning, uh, within it we find the, uh, uh, the heart, we could say, the heart of the gospel, the heart of the, the good news of the kingdom, the good news of God, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, and especially of what Jesus Christ has done for us, the work of the Lord Jesus. Now this is important because this comes at a point in Peter. Well, you remember last week we were talking about how the Bible tells us that Jesus has left us um, left behind, uh, an example. Remember that? A tracing uh, that you know, like letters you trace it out. Jesus has left behind, an example for us that we would follow in His steps. And you remember that was an example of suffering unjustly for righteousness sake. Uh, that's the example he's left. But here's the thing this morning, that uh, the reason that Jesus is your example is because, first of all, Jesus has become your Savior and your substitute in death. As John wrote in 1 John 3 about Jesus, you know that he appeared, not first of all to be your example, he appeared, the Bible says, you know he appeared to take away sins And in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on making a practice of sinning. And so Peter's been telling us as we live in this world of sin, uh, those who belong to Christ, we're going to face unjust suffering as we seek to follow Jesus. And we're called to endure the sorrows of unjust suffering Uh, even as Jesus did, being mindful of God. Remember that? Verse 21, For to this you've been called. It's part of the calling of a Christian, not only to be saved uh, from our sin, uh, but in fact to suffer for Christ's sake. Because, said Peter, verse 21, Christ also, remember, suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. Christ suffered, Peter says, for you. That is, not only as an example, but he suffered, the Bible says, for you. That is, in your place, on your behalf. His suffering and dying for us in our place, Peter says here, of course, that serves, that should serve to motivate us, compel us to understand that, you know, Jesus' commitment to the Father, Jesus being mindful of God, His enduring sorrows under unjust suffering, that is left behind to us as an example for how we are to live ourselves under such unjust suffering in our own life. So that as you and I follow in his steps, others would see Jesus in us. Now remember the whole overarching purpose here is Peter showing us the goal here is that as Christians in a world that that, that doesn't doesn't love you as a Christian when you're faithful to Jesus, but the goal here is to live like Christ, to be like Christ, to love like Christ, and to suffer like Christ. This is the Christian life. Now, here's the thing. The foundation of such a life, says Peter, is the fact that Jesus Christ has died for us. That is, he is our substitutionary uh, atonement. He is the one who has substituted his own life in the place of sinners. He died for us, says Peter, to make us like him. This is what verse 24 says. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So just, actually, just one point this morning. Surprise, surprise. The pastor only has one point. One point this morning. Uh, and the point is simply this. He himself. He himself. Peter says, Christ suffered and died for you. Peter tells us here, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. And the purpose was that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So here's the first thing. The Bible says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. In the Greek, the word himself uh, is emphasized, as I tried to emphasize uh, uh, for you. Meaning this, he himself, he and not another, meaning this, he and not you, meaning this, he and he alone. Emphasize the himself. On the cross, the Bible says, our sins were placed upon Jesus, and he suffered the wrath of the Father against our sins. The Bible says he bore those sins himself on the cross, here referred to as the tree. Now, no doubt Peter would have had in mind uh, the Old Testament. There was an offering in the Old Testament called the burnt offering, which the Lord provided in Leviticus chapter 1. Listen to how this offering is described. If his offering, Leviticus 1, is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish, he shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he, that is the person bringing the sacrifice, may be accepted before the Lord he shall, that is the person bringing the sacrifice, he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement, or covering for sin, payment for sin, for him, and then he shall kill the bull and spill the blood before the Lord. You bring that offering without blemish, you put your hand on that offering, and uh, and that, that is given in your place. Because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now here's the thing. So in the Old Testament, God's people were being taught, your sin is worthy of death. My sin, before a holy God, is worthy of death. How how else could it be? He's the creator. He's the king. He's given me life and breath. I can't breathe a syllable without Him. So anything I breathe that's against Him, He's given me my limbs. He's given me strength. He's given me a heart and lungs. He's given me legs and arms. I can't do anything without Him, so anything I do against Him should be unthinkable. Right? That's sin. It's, it's traitor, tra- being a traitor against the King. It's worthy of death, the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. But here's the thing. God graciously, in the Old Testament, provided a substitute so that the folks knew, who knew they were sinners bring that to the, to the temple And uh, they could bring that sacrifice, it it would be offered in their place. And it would remind them, without the shedding of blood, 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 lots of blood at the temple, there's no forgiveness. Now they learn that. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. right? All these sacrifices, picturing that blood needs to be shed, all pointing to Jesus. But Hebrews tells us, those offerings could never really take away sin. They needed to be offered again and, again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And so Peter says, He Himself bore our sins. This is part of the new of the new covenant. That is, Jesus fully pays for all our sin. But why the tree instead of the cross? Well, you shouldn't be thinking here of... Um, You know, a tree we see out in the field behind us or something like that. Tree here is a common uh, Hebrew metaphorical way of simply referring to the place of the execution of a criminal. Hung on a tree, meaning he was sentenced to death. It comes from Deuteronomy 21, 21, where we read this. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he's put to death and you hang him on a tree... His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. Why? Because Deuteronomy says a hanged man, someone on a tree put to death is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land. The Lord your God has given you for inheritance. To be hanged on a tree was a Hebrew expression and Peter didn't want his hearers and he doesn't want us to miss the connection to the curse of the Old Testament. You know, someone who is... Uh, uh, given the de- death sentence as a criminal all that, that, under God's curse, right? The wrath of God against sin to be hung on a tree, to get that judgment of uh, execution against you. The wrath of God is clearly upon such a person. One who died this way was considered under the curse of God and the wrath of God. So Paul would write to the Galatians. He would say this about Jesus. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, said Paul in Galatians, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree under the curse and wrath of God. So this is why Peter says, listen, he himself, that is, the sinless, blameless, spotless, Lamb of God, bore our sins in his body on the tree. It's almost as if Peter is saying, can you believe this? Can you believe this? He himself, Jesus himself, the Savior himself, the perfect Messiah himself. He's he's described him, the one against whom no one had any evidence whatsoever of ever having committed any crime or sin or indiscretion of any kind. He himself. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, you know, when someone you admired or regarded highly, you know, did something you thought was beneath them. That ever happened to you? Imagine, let's say, you're driving through Hollywood, and uh, um, you see a movie star, and uh, they're out front mowing their own grass. You think, what? Um... I would have loved to see Jimmy Stewart mowing his grass. I don't think he ever did. Probably didn't. But if I saw him doing it, he'd be like, what? He himself? Um, you know, or a, or a senator or a politician uh, washing their own car, getting all wet and dirty, muddy. Uh, or a famous musician, concert person, you know, cleaning up the stadium, you know, the gum and the beer and the and the dirt after they've led their concert? He himself? That's unthinkable. He himself, says Peter, the one who in verse 22, quoting from Isaiah 53, Peter says, committed no sin, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. Never, ever, says Peter, quoting Isaiah, anything out of the mouth of Jesus, never, anything, Displeasing to the Father. Think think of James. Remember what he says about our mouth and our tongue? James says about our tongue, it's like a roaring fire. (sighs) You know, Uh, set a world on fire. It itself says James is set on fire by hell, my mouth. Remember Isaiah? Uh, I live among a people of unclean lips. I am a man of unclean lips. spotless, blameless, not, not, not an iota of deceit in the mouth of the Savior, he himself, he himself, the one who in verse 23, again quoting from Isaiah, Peter says, when he was reviled, that is when he's spoken against, you know, someone accuses him of something, and, uh, or spit on, for instance, he did not revile in return. Paul would say in Romans to us, do not, says Paul, be overcome by evil. And we often are. When we're reviled, uh, you know, we, we, we hit back, you know. Jesus never did. When he suffered, Peter says, he didn't threaten to retaliate, but instead he entrusted himself to the Father. He could have called a legion of angels. Ah, uh, but he didn't. Imagine if you could call a legion of angels. I wonder how often you'd call them. You know, someone gives you a little bit of alright, really? You want to go? Hey? Legion. You're done. That's me. And you maybe. Because we're sinful. And uh, we're not spotless. But Jesus is. He himself. He himself, says Peter, was lifted up to be crucified, hung on that tree, and it's in fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 6, which says, all we, that includes you, I don't care who you are this morning, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, the Bible says, has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of us all. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Bore here means to take the blame. It means to, uh, uh, to carry the burden. Isaiah 53, 12 would say of the Messiah, he bore the sin of many. The Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also receive, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. This is good news. This is good news. Because not only, as the Bible says, He died for our sins, but elsewhere we find out He's died actually for all our sins. All our sins. Wrote for John in 1 John 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, listen to this, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess, he says, our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of them cleansed. Now, I'm not a a fanatic about caring for our vehicles. You probably notice that sometimes. We park out there. Sometimes our car is dusty or the van is dusty. Uh, The reason is that, you know, I like to get a car wash, uh, you know, once in a while. It's expensive for one, but... Uh, I always find, I don't know if you find this, but whenever I get a car wash, it doesn't matter where it is, um, you know what bothers me? It never truly gets clean. You know, I, I look at it, there's always some kind of you know, streak, there's always some kind of smudge, there's always some kind of watermark left. I think, well, why bother? You know, you pay all that money, it's not really clean, there's still, still mess, and then when we do it ourselves at home, it's even worse, right? well, sorry children, but yeah, you know, streaks and we do our best, we do our best, but uh, the dirt sometimes just gets rearranged. Uh, All our sins cleansed, wrote the author to the Hebrews in Hebrews 10, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And then the Bible says this, where there is the forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So the Bible says, you can never be more clean than you already are in Jesus. You can never be more clean because all sins are washed away because He Himself bore them on the tree. You're cleansed in your Father's sight through the blood of Jesus. No more blood need be shed. No rewashing. You know, that's why baptism is a sign of that washing. It's an external sign of what God the Holy Spirit does internally in the life of His people. Again, Hebrews, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. A single sacrifice for sins. The Lord's Supper, when we celebrate it, it's not a Mass. We're not doing the same thing. The Roman Catholic Church does. We are not re-sacrificing Jesus. It is not an altar. It is a table. Uh, We celebrate at the table of the Lord what Jesus Christ has already done and accomplished fully in His one sacrifice on the tree. And we come at the table to commune with Christ. We don't come to offer a sacrifice. He's already given it all. And all my sin is paid for. No longer any offering for sin. His blood cleanses from all unrighteousness. He himself, says Peter, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Wrote Isaiah, Isaiah 53, and you might uh, look at that later today. First Peter 2 is all about Isaiah 53. But he, says Isaiah, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now wait right here. I'm speaking to you, and I'm speaking to me. Now wait right here. What do you think of that? What is your response to that? Our third vow of membership that we asked the folks today... About, you know, do you abhor yourself? Do you hate, your, do you hate yourself? Do, that is, do you hate your sinful nature because it estranges you from God? And, and do you trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation? Because there's no hope in yourself because you're a sinner, but do you trust in Jesus who then bore your sins for you in your place? And then we ask Aaron and Melanie, do you promise to teach your children this truth? He himself bore our sins on the tree. Now, do you find that and I don't know, do you find that like, oh, that's an interesting theological matter. Does that send your mind, you know, whirling about the doctrine of the atonement? No, it should. How does this work? Does it make you want to pick up a volume of systematic theology and dig deeper? That's good. That's well and good, but it's not enough. I suppose that would be like someone um, saving you from being dashed against the rocks by the roaring waters of a powerfully moving river and you being dragged out on the shore and uh, and then thinking to yourself, I'm going straight to the library uh, to read up on the attributes of rivers and the nature of heroes because this really interests me. All the while, your rescuer standing right in front of you Waiting for a response to what he's done. And he's dragged you out. How about thankfulness? How about wonder? Why did you do that? Why did you save me? How about a hug? How about a kiss? How about an embrace? How about some kind of expression of love and devotion? The fact is, Friends, before Jesus is ever our example and our pattern and our model, he must be our Savior, our sacrifice, our substitute, our sin-bearer. As the Bible says, there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. So if you're here today thinking, oh, might be, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I could have do something else maybe. Maybe I'll go to some other religion. I'm not sure there's anything in this. Uh, you know, the Bible says there's no other name by which you must be saved because if you do not believe in Jesus, there is no saving. Because he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. There's no Jesus example unless there's first Jesus' Savior. Think about it this way. Imagine you're a soldier. You're coming home from a war in which you've been severely wounded. Let's say, in fact, you've lost both your legs and uh, you're bound to a wheelchair. You're depressed. You're discouraged. Now, imagine that someone were to suggest to you that the best answer to your depression and situation is that you need, in your wheelchair with no legs, you need an example to live by. Say, Okay. And so they tell you the best example of, you know, physical fitness and health is the basketball player LeBron James. He's fit. He's a great example of physical health. I just saw a commercial this past week with him recently. Ripped, you know, buff, or whatever the word is. Lifting weights, you know, running on the treadmill. Ah, He sets a great pattern for how to work out. You know how to lift weights, how to run laps. Now all that may be true. But what a man in a wheelchair needs to run is not an example of a runner. He needs new legs. And unless LeBron James can give a legless man legs to run, his example of the perfect runner will be of no use. Oh yeah, the Bible says yes, Jesus has left you an example to walk in his steps and endure the sorrows of unjust suffering. This is your calling. This is your calling Uh, as a Christian. The unbeliever knows nothing of this, scoffs at this. Right? They're not looking for Jesus as an example because they don't see Jesus as their Savior. First, you need to know Jesus not as your example, but as your Savior from sin. You need legs. I need legs, you need life, I need life. You and I are dead in sin apart from Jesus. And that, says the Bible, is exactly why Christ came. He came that we might have life, the Bible says, and have it abundantly. He came to deal with sin, your sin and my sin, and to give you life through faith in Him. See, this is the thing, in the eternal plan of God, Jesus is set apart as the head of, of the new covenant community in His blood. Just like Adam in the beginning, he was the head of the the human race. And we were all with Him there in the garden. But when He sinned, the Bible says, we we sinned in Him and we sinned with Him. And so in Adam, we are all fallen. But in the eternal plan of God, He set aside His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be the head of a new race. And it's called uh, a chosen race here in Peter, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for His own possession. And the same thing, everybody who is united to Jesus receives all the benefits of Jesus. Not, not now of sinful Adam, but of the last Adam, of the second man, the Bible says. Jesus, sinless, blameless, perfect. And so when He dies on the cross, He has all the sins of His people there upon Him. So when He dies... He dies in the place of his people because he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He was our substitute. Let me just close with this. We all know what a substitute is. You know, whenever children uh, play soccer, you know, there's always a few substitutes who sit on the bench uh, waiting anxiously for their turn to get into the game. Maybe that was you. And, uh, uh, and uh, when the call comes from the coach to get ready to go in, you're excited, uh, your chance to play, and you rush in with big smiles. We're so used to those kind of substitutes. But what we're not used to is uh, the kind of substitute who would appeal for the right to stand in the place of a criminal on death row who's awaiting his time of execution. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. In the day that you eat of it, God said to Adam, you will surely die. The kind of substitute who's a good and upright citizen, wanting to take the place on death row of a murderer, or the worst possible offender you can think of. In fact, if that were to happen, we would cry out against it. Such people, we might say, this death row murderer does not deserve mercy. That's what we would say. He deserves the death penalty. Let the death penalty take its course. That's what we would say. No mercy. Such people only deserve what they have coming to them. Such people deserve to die. Such people, the Bible says, are people like you. And I, according to Scripture, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Why? Because we're born sinners, and we sin, and God is holy. And so by nature, says Paul in Ephesians 2, by nature, that's who we are. On death row, awaiting execution for sin. And Christ says, I will take your place. And that's why, friends, the Bible says, His ways are not our ways. His thoughts, they're not our thoughts. God demonstrates His own love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I will take it from you, I will take it to the cross. You see, says Peter, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Friends, this is what a Christian believes. And here's the thing. If Christ bore your sins in his body on the tree, you and I need not bear them anymore. We are free. We are forgiven. And, says Peter, he he, he does all this in this chapter. He does all this. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might live. that We might die to sin. Mm -hmm. And that we might live to righteousness. You see, there's a great purpose in him bearing our sins. It's that you and I now would die to sin. And live to righteousness. And that's what we'll look at, Lord willing, next time. Let's pray uh, together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we cannot, in our weakness, in a weak preacher, and in our weak ears, and weak listening, Lord, we cannot plumb the, the depths of the, the glory of any part of your word, more or less this verse of Scripture. And so, Lord, we just pray today that as we meditate on your word, O Lord, that you would bring these truths home to our own heart by the work of your Holy Spirit, which is the only way that these truths will come home as you apply them to us. May we see in the Lord Jesus, not only our example who suffers unjustly for righteousness, and we're to walk in his steps, but Lord, first of all, we'd see in him our sin bearer. All our sin, past, present, future, all covered, all paid for through his death for us. May we respond to that today, dear Lord. May we see in him our Savior, that we too might die to sin and live to righteousness for your glory and our good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.